0: Hi everyone, this is Barry Robinson. Welcome to the Vandal Science Experience, where we take an irreverent and lighthearted but in-depth look at the students who perform undergraduate research here at the University of Iowa. There's so much science in this podcast, you're going to die. On this episode of the Vandal Science Experience...
1: So Scott Newsomner's lab study transmissible vaccines, which is the idea that if I got a vaccine and then you come in contact with me, you would also become vaccinated.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Vandal Science Experience. Today, we're going to sit down with... Courtney Schreiner. Yep. How are you doing, Courtney? Were doing good? pretty good. All right. Where are you from? where would um, you grow up?
1: I'm from Tri-Cities, Washington. Right. From Kennewick, specifically. I did a Running Start program there, and so the classes I took at the community college counted for both college and my high school credits. Right. So, All
0: right. And so you're a, you're a Washington kid. I am a Washington kid. And somehow, you ended up in an Idaho school.
1: Yep. So this is funny because my whole family's from Boise.
0: You were doomed, I mean destined, to be a banker.
1: Yep. I thought this would be the last school I went to, and then it ended up being the only school I applied to. Uh-huh.
0: So walk us through that.
1: I had taken a statistics course. I was just absolutely fascinated by the class. I was like, wow, statistics are kind of cool. But then I also really liked biology. So I Googled biostatistics, having no idea if it was a thing or not. Turns out it's a thing. It is a thing. It is quite a big thing. It's
0: a pretty big thing.
1: So I was like, whoa, biostatistics. This field sounds cool. So I looked all over Washington state and come to find out University of Idaho has a mathematics degree with applied biology option.
0: Right. All right, so you found an applied biology emphasis in the math program and ended up coming to the University of Idaho. Yep. All right, so you walk into the University of Idaho, pretty young for a freshman, if I recall, right?
1: I didn't graduate high school early. I just came in with a lot of credits.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. You were young for being in my class. That's what it was.
1: Yeah. Okay. Make sure I get to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: All right. So, walk us through your version of this origin story of Courtney's undergraduate research career.
1: Okay. So, I definitely was a small, scared little freshman on this big, big ish campus and was very excited to take genetics. So, I'm in genetics. It's maybe the second or third day of classes. And Barry walks up to me. in the middle of the giant Renfrew Hall. I'm just sitting there minding my own business and Barry walks up to me and he's like, are you the freshman in my junior level biology class? And I was like, um, I guess so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so then
1: Barry was like, okay, you need to come talk to me. And I was like, Okay. And at this point, I was like, what? Like, why? I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to be in this class. Talk to my advisor. I don't know what's going on. So I was like, okay. And then he lectures, and then I go up to him after. I'm like, when you want me to talk to you? Like, what? And he's like, oh, just, just come to my office. We'll find a time. Come to my office. And I was like, all right. So then set up a time to come to Barry's office. And then he was like, okay, so you have all these credits, but you really need to get involved in undergraduate research. And based on, like, what I know, I think you'd be really good fit for Scott Newsmer. I was like, okay. <laughs> he, like, mentioned, oh, something with infectious diseases and in math. And I was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> and so then I went and met with Scott Newsmer, who then showed me these cool models that I didn't know models were a thing when I came here and uh, showed me some of his research and what they studied and been there ever since doing research.
0: So in my recollection, the, the thing that was missing that you had no way of knowing, somehow early on I found out that you were one of these applied biology math majors and I I knew a lot of the faculty that would were doing research in biology and math and somehow I think it might have been in the meeting in my office, I extricated from you your interests in in sort of infectious disease, but also math kind of thing. And that's... That's when, because it wasn't preordained that I was like, okay, I got to get this person to meet with Scott. I didn't know that when I was going to bring you into the office. I knew that after I talked with you for a bit and figured out where your actual specific interests might be. And so, uh, yeah. And then I sent you to, to Scott and he didn't eat you alive. He didn't. You he- survived. <laughs> All right. But, so, But to be perfectly honest, this is the kind of thing... Where you and I, it's like we're small enough that those kinds of things can happen where a professor will be like, oh, I know a little bit about what this person is interested in. And, and you know, I can make a connection for them that that might be, you know, a, a real win-win for the student and the professor. And at like a big school where you're sitting in a class with 400 other students in a genetics class, forget it. Yeah. You just there's no way. And if you get into the research stuff first, true or false, I'm asking you this question. Does it change, once, once you have a bit of that research experience in that context, does it change your experience in the classroom when you start learning all this extra material? Definitely. Yeah. I would say
1: so. I would say if I didn't have research, I would not be the motivated student. I mean, I I think I'm a motivated student naturally, but also classes are far more interesting now that I can see where stuff can actually be applied. That before it's just, oh, look at this calculus. I'm solving (laughs) integrals and I don't really know what they mean. And now I'm like, oh, I can find the average Seroprevalence of something, which is how much of something there is in population.
0: Yeah, thanks for explaining that. Sorry, I, no, yeah, I didn't know what that meant. Seroprevalence, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Vandal Vocabulary Podcast. Let's talk now about the research that you actually got to do in Scott's lab. So, tell us a little bit about the research topic.
1: So, about Scott's lab or about my project?
0: Uh, why don't we start with a, like a, a really brief version of, of the context that you're working in, like the big questions that Scott's whole group is dealing with, and then you're a slice of the pie.
1: Okay. Our lab, so Scott Newsman's lab on a big picture study transmissible vaccines which is the idea that if i got a vaccine and then you come in contact with me you would also become vaccinated but this would only be used in like a wildlife population why because it's unethical to use it in a human population oh. at this point oh. that's okay. kind of a iffy subject if we talk about humans <laughs> but if we talk about animals <laughs> but okay. anyways so there's so infectious diseases Sixty percent of them come from wildlife. So if we can vaccinate the wildlife in order to prevent us from getting the infectious disease, then we could limit a ton of terrible infectious disease cases.
0: Like what?
1: Like what kind of diseases? Yeah. Okay, so flu.
0: Oh, yeah, that.
1: Tuberculosis. Oh, yeah. There's there's so many. Ebola. I mean, I said 60% of them. There's so many. Okay, if
0: I had to choose between the three of those, I, I think I'd choose the flu. I would choose the flu. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'd definitely choose the flu. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm
0: not a <clears throat> biologist or anything.
1: Specifically but. in Scott's lab, where a lot of them are investigating loss of fever. Right. Which is present in West Africa um, and in mustomyes mice. Right. So,
0: so the context here, in terms of Scott's lab, is there's a ton of diseases that people get that are actually transmitted to them through an animal we would call it a vector,
1: a, a reservoir,
0: a, a, an animal reservoir. Like yeah. in your in the loss of fever case, it was some species it's, of it's rat. mice. Yeah. So with TB, what is it? Cows.
1: Cows. Well, there's lots of TB out there, but mostly cows. And so we got TB from unpasteurized milk. Oh. So it's in the milk and if you don't heat kill it which is pasteurization yeah. then all those bacteria are still in there and if the cow has tb and then you drink that milk then now you have tb I don't want tb No, we none of us want tb but okay. now there's human tb and it's this whole mess now that we got it from cows
0: Oh boy. All right. So what we're trying to do is create vaccines for these reservoir species. So if they become vaccinated to these diseases, they can't transmit them to us. Correct. Okay. So what's your slice of this disease-riddled pie.
1: So, like I said, we're looking into Mistomi's mice, yep. which they are these mice that fluctuate in size throughout the year.
0: Like, Body size or population
1: size? Population size. Okay. So during one part of the year there's a bunch of them, and then at the end of the year, there's not that many. So we want to know if we have a vaccine for them, when should we implement that? Because when I would want to vaccinate a population that stays the same size, that might not matter. But if it's changing size and I only have a certain number of vaccines, Uh, I think that should matter was the question.
0: How are the vaccines best deployed in terms of its timing? And
1: vaccination is a very Expensive thing. So if we can optimize our resources, mm. then hopefully we can knock down the uh, pathogen a lot more.
0: And this is this is these mastomyes mice are in West Africa, and they're carrying loss of fever. fever. What does loss of fever do? If I got loss of fever,
1: it's a hemorrhagic fever.
0: That doesn't sound good.
1: No, so okay. it causes you to bleed. A lot. Okay. Out of.
0: I don't want it. No. Don't even finish that sentence. <laughs> okay. Let's just- it's, uh, okay.
1: It's not a good fever. It's not it's a not, good fever. It's to not add. a good
0: fever. Right.
1: No, it's Uh. Yeah, it causes a terrible fever. It causes lots of bleeding inside, out, whatever. It's just terrible.
0: Okay, so we don't want that.
1: No. So we're no, we definitely not. Way these- worse than the flu. Yeah.
0: We're going to vaccinate these mice because that then protects the people that come in contact with the mice. Yeah. And this is a transmissible vaccine. So the idea is you can vaccinate some mice and then they spread it
1: so that was the original plan that
0: was the original plan that
1: was the original plan to look into because this lab studies transmissible vaccines Uh well we were like well maybe someone's looked into this with raccoons because they vaccinate raccoons for rabies like crazy and they fluctuate and maybe we can find something in the literature that looks at the timing of vaccination Uh uh-huh so i go digging digging and digging through google scholar like nothing can't find a single paper and so then go back to scott and like i can't find anything nothing on this and he's like are you sure you're googling the right thing yeah, yeah. And, and i'm like i googled all combinations of words i can't find anything and he's like well that's strange and then he's like well that sounds like two papers so uh so then we're like well if no one's figured out when to do it with a standard vaccine then let's do that first and then we'll go back to when we have a transmissible vaccine Uh aha so my project became okay we have a normal vaccine Mm -hmm. and when is the best time to implement that in a population that fluctuates in size throughout the year in population size
0: okay so tell us about how you methodologically attacked that problem i mean how do you how do you solve that problem
1: so our lab is a very mathematical, theoretical lab. So we have A system of equations that change over time and built into these equations has the fluctuation in population size and we can solve these or numerically solve these and look at how many vaccinated individuals there are in the population given i vaccinate at certain time points so i'm like okay i'm gonna release my vaccine at this time and then i get uh, this number of vaccinated individuals how does that compare if I vaccinated at a different time? And so that was kind of the baseline of what we did to approach. And we did a lot of like, okay, what, parameters matter because there's a ton of parameters in it. So we ended up setting some of our parameters and just looking at time of vaccination and come to find out that vaccinating at the end of the breeding season, because there's a breeding season that would have a lot more individuals. So yep. you want to vaccinate when that breeding season is over because that's when you have the most number of individuals in your population. So you can vaccinate the most number of individuals. So then we also wanted to look at, well, what if we have to compete with the pathogen because then you'd be fighting for individual, your vaccine would be fighting for susceptible individuals along with the pathogen. Right. With that one we found pretty much almost the exact same thing, but you wanna vaccinate a little bit farther out because then you can hit the pathogen when the pathogen's starting to lower in number of individuals, but the population is still high enough that you get more vaccinated individuals. Does that make sense? No. I'm gonna
0: sagely nod. Yes. Okay. I don't understand anything So anymore. you
1: should vaccinate at the end of the breeding season. When, because and that's when
0: there are that the population size is at its peak? Yeah. I see. Okay.
1: Yep. If you vaccinate too early, you're gonna miss individuals uh-huh. and then those individuals can become infected and they
0: will become infected
1: so that's why you want to vaccinate at or maybe even a little bit after
0: and if you're if you vaccinate too late they've already become infected and you're too late to vaccinate exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's... Okay. Why didn't you say it that way the first (laughs) time? Yeah, I don't know. Caught me at a bad time. You said that was sort of part one. Uh, Like, that was the...
1: Yeah. So, we wrote a paper on those findings. So, when I say we, Scott and then also Andrew Pasinski is the... Is a postdoc in Scott's lab that right. I worked along with to help me do all of this because I definitely didn't know how to do all of it myself. And
0: you, you've published this paper, yes. This
1: paper is now published th- in the Journal of Applied Ecology, the
0: Journal of Applied Ecology,
1: and it is titled When to Vaccinate a Fluctuating Wildlife Population Is Timing Everything?
0: Nice. So, and you're first author, I am, so that's pretty cool. It's I mean, actually, cool. I mean, that's uh, you know, I mean, that's a big deal for undergrad to be first author of paper. That's what we aspire to with every piece of undergraduate research, but it's a big hill to climb.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I, uh, so after like one year of doing, like just learning things in Scott's lab, I then stayed in Moscow over a summer and worked on that project like every single day. Yeah, I remember. And then uh, school started and then it was, okay, write the manuscript. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay.
0: Let's talk about some of the other experiences you had to have while you were doing this research project? Because you, I mean, yes, you did this research and you, you published a paper, but you've been able to do a couple of other cool things. So right. tell us about some of those.
1: So from my freshman year to my sophomore year, I spent the summer here in Moscow yeah, working on that project. Yeah. Then the next year I was like, well, I've only done mathematical, like theoretical stuff with infectious diseases. And I know I want to study infectious diseases, but there's this whole whole other side to infectious diseases that is empirical work. Yeah. And i was like, well, I should really go figure out if that's what I want to do. Because at this point, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was going in my junior year, which means I would have to be um, thinking about... Wait, no. I was going in my... Hold on. Okay.
0: So... There was a year and then I did some stuff.
1: So there was... There's the year that I was like, can okay, to figure out if I want to do empirical work? Because then after that, I'm going to have to apply to grad school and I don't know what I want to do yet. Yeah. And so at which point I found out about the REU program, which is the research experience for undergrads. Turns out there is one for infectious diseases at the University of Georgia mm-hmm. that studies population biology and infectious diseases. So I applied to it and I got the internship, which was really exciting. And so I spent this last summer, I spent 10 weeks in Georgia studying uh, mosquitoes and what sort of things affect their fitness. So this setup of this experiment was we had these mason jars that had a bunch of mosquitoes, some mosquito larvae, and we had some with like maybe only five, and then we had others with 240, and they all had the same amount of food, and we discovered that the ones with a lot of larvae in them were super tiny, mm-hmm. like so tiny, which we were like, whoa, this is really cool. This is like a result. We wanted to see that there's an effect on fitness, because yep. that's the main measurement for mosquitoes is their fitness is based on their body size. Sure. So we are like, wow, these ones are so tiny. And then we watched them crawl through the mesh. Yeah. And then it was not so cool anymore. And so I was on my phone and I get this message from Scott. That was just a real good cherry on top of my day of getting bit by a lot of mosquitoes. And he was like, hey, how's the internship going? How's the mosquitoes? And I was like, well... <laughs> they escaped today.
0: <laughs> I'm coming back. So
1: not that great. And he was like, wow. You know what's really cool about models? They don't bite and they can't escape. Yep. And I was like, thanks. Thanks, Scott.
0: Uh, so you survived your RU program. I did. And, uh, and you came back here. Um, and then if I recall, you got to, you presented some of your work at a meeting recently.
1: Yeah, so I got this email from the University of Georgia that there was this undergraduate research conference going on in Knoxville, Tennessee, and so I was like, man, this conference would be cool to go to, and they were offering funding for it, so uh, I was like, yeah, I'll go present my research, so I went to this conference, and it was just all undergrads presenting, and then there was a couple of keynote speakers. So as much as I didn't like the mosquitoes, mosquitoes are pretty interesting. And um, so this keynote speaker was giving a talk on malaria, which is transmitted by mosquitoes and is a parasite. And they're also super temperature sensitive. Mosquitoes are super temperature sensitive. Parasites are super temperature sensitive. And she was giving this talk about how she was on this mosquito project studying malaria and how like climate change affects these mosquitoes and malaria and where it's going to be endemic In a couple of years based on current climate change. And she kept saying, She's like, okay, there are decisions that are going to be made. It is up to you to decide whether you want to be at the table or not. But decisions are going to be made. And so she was doing this research that was informing policymakers and these people with resources to go help these endemic areas. And she was doing this research that directly applied to that: that, hey, If you do this, it's going to have this reaction, and you need to make this decision. And so, she just kept saying, like, decisions are going to be made. Do you want to be at the table or not? And I was like, I so do. Like, I want to be there telling the CDC, hey, this place needs the most help, and if you don't send your resources here first, then bad things are going to happen. Something like that.
0: No, I think if I recall, here's what we decided is you are going to be the person in the lab coat that charges into Congress and says to them, "You <laughs> need to do this. Where this is going to happen. I'm warning you, I've run all my models and the giant grizzly bear mosquitoes <laughs>
1: the giant grizzly bears are
0: coming from Georgia. They've gotten through the mesh, people. <laughs> and and Congress will have to, they, they will ignore you and then we'll have a really cool science fiction movie.
1: But yeah, that that would be the goal. My yeah. dream job is definitely to go work at the CDC and be a part of those nice decisions.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's sort of... Bring this plane in for a landing here. So you, how are you going to get to the table? What's your, what's your plan now so, that you're about to graduate?
1: I am going to pursue a PhD Okay. in ecology, population biology, and evolution. Okay. And I've applied to yep. grad schools. Yeah. Currently still waiting on a couple of responses. Yeah. I would really like to go to Emory, Uh which is in Atlanta and across the street from the CDC. Right. That sounds cool. And I've been in contact with a professor there who I really want to work with, and she studies dengue vaccination, so Mm -hmm. I'm back to mosquitoes, but this time I brought vaccination into it. Wow. Yep.
0: All right, Courtney. I think we're done. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck going to graduate school. Bye, everybody. That's it for this episode of the Vandal Science Experience. Make sure you join us again next month for more of the science with the exclamation points.